Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about packaging your expertise differently. I like this. It's been a theme for us lately. Yeah. This is sort of kicked off by a number of different questions that we've gotten in some stories we did pre-show. Um, but the basic concept is, let's, let's imagine a scenario where you've got, I don't know, maybe you've got a thousand people on a mailing list and you just sell one thing and maybe it's kind of expensive. You know, maybe it's a, I don't know, a thousand dollar course or something like that. And it's just crickets. No one wants it. Uh, or, or it seems like no, you know, no one's buying it. Apparently they don't want it or it's not worth a thousand bucks. The question arises, it's like, is, is the, if the list is engaged and, and, you know, they're, they're, opening emails, they're clicking, they're staying subscribed, it's not, you know, they're not churning like crazy, then the question is like, do you kind of market to them harder, harder sale, pressure tactics, and that sort of thing? Or could you perhaps come up with a different way to package the expertise that was inside the course or your coaching or your consulting work into uh, some different price points? And I guess we could, today we can talk yes. about some kind of uh, approaches to help you think about how to do that, like a di bunch of different, I, th I think about three different ways that I usually brainstorm this with people to kind of get them to, to think differently about their expertise and how they could offer it. Well, what's interesting about the scenario you described is that you have a thousand people on a mailing list, they're not buying, but they're also not unsubscribing. Right. So that would tell me that there's something that you're doing that is attractive to that list. They are learning something from you. They're getting a different perspective. And that $1,000 could be too low. It could be too high. Yeah, it could it be too could low. Be, yeah, it could be the wrong approach for what they want to buy from you, mm -hmm. right? Because I might want to spend $1,000 with person A, but I'd spend $10,000 with person B. Mm -hmm. So if person B gave me a $1,000 option, I might go, eh, no, I don't want that. <laughs> I want the ten. And yeah. vice versa. Sure. Yep. Or it could be something like it's a group thing and they just don't want to be in a group. Yeah. Like the, the price is right, but they don't want to be in a group. Like the, the delivery of it is not attractive. Or, or, or could... the opposite. It's one to one and they want a group. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Takes all kinds. Right. So if you, you know, if you have this area of expertise, you get this expertise that you know produces results, but you're used to delivering it in just one particular way. That's what we're, it's like, okay, we don't have to change your expertise. It's like, but let's come up with some different way. How can we come up with some different ways to assemble it and deliver it in, you know, a variety, you know, a variety of formats that may or may not work, but you could shake loose some activity on that list of a thousand people or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I've got a, a million ideas about this. I think the, the, the one that is the most overarching, especially for people who are, Basically, technicians, they're really good at what they do. They're maybe software developers and they just code amazing websites or, you know, whatever, or DevOps people or, but it could be anything. It could be someone who's executing marketing campaigns or um, branding or whatever, whatever you do, but you do the thing. So like you mm -hmm. think of yourself as I, I, I build Rails apps or I build SaaS products or something like that. It's, you think I build it, right? I'm a builder. Mm -hmm. If you've been doing it for a long time and you're really good, and you can know when this happens because if you're still building and there are people who are much younger than you that are getting jobs, taking you're taking jobs away from you, it's a sign that, <laughs> that the, the next generation is coming for you yep. and will work cheaper and 
as far as the customers are concerned, there's no meaningful difference between you and them except for the price. So you're feeling like underpaid because you're so good and these other people are noobs and yet they're they're getting the work. So that's a sign. It's a symptom that might be time to think like this. So for years, and you've probably been doing pretty well as someone who, you know, I build SaaS products. Let's just pick on that one. It's probably time to start thinking about, or you could at least brainstorm about, I know how to build SaaS products and sell your know-how independent of the doing. So instead of typing semicolons and, you know, running database migrations, you do something else that is like higher level. It's more strategic or um, advisory or designy, like capital D design, like the way upstream design architecture, uh, those sorts of things. And, and package that up and sell it at, you can sell it at a, you know, it's a lower price point, but it's much more profitable, which is, can trip people up. So if you get paid, I don't know, let's just say $50,000 to build a SaaS MVP, uh, but you can only get paid $5,000 to like, say, create the architecture, or basically make mm-hmm. all the, the stack decisions up into the technology stack decisions and connect the buyer with an offshore team that can do it relatively inexpensively. And, you know, it, it would mm-hmm. something you could probably do in 90 minutes, like you, you talk to the person, you'd understand their constraints, uh, their, their, whatever resources they have. And you'd be like, okay, given all of these constraints and resources, the available resources, I would do it like this. And you come up with this sort of a blueprint that you could probably put together very easily. If you have years of experience doing this, you'd be like, oh, this isn't just another one of those things. Uh, it's $5,000. Here's the rec- here's my roadmap or my recommendations or whatever. And, uh, and off to the races. So this represents a pretty big, this can cause a, uh, a identity crisis, the person, because they'll say, they, they say things like, but nobody will build it as good as I could have. Or <laughs> I don't want to just be one of those people who tells people what to do and doesn't actually do anything. I don't actually do anything anymore. It's like, well, okay. If you, if you don't, in this particular scenario of selling your know-how, the client can't afford to pay you to do it, right? Like they're not, or they're not right. willing, they're not willing to give you the 50 or you know, whatever, 50 grand to build it. You're too expensive. You're overqualified, right? So you can, you know, you, you can continue to complain about having to lower your price, or you can actually bring your expertise to bear farther upstream in the process where, you know, the client is, you're making the decision, you're helping the client make the right decisions. Uh, before they start coding. Uh, you could do both. You could offer that and then, you know, the road mapping thing or the architecture. And then after that, they say, I would really like you to build it. And you could say, well, I'm I'm really expensive. Building is, to pay me to build it would probably be a waste of money. You could get someone much cheaper to do it. No, 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 we want you. Okay, in that case, then maybe they, they can afford you, but they probably wouldn't have known that if you didn't do that first step with them and build up the trust and and you know, demonstrated your expertise and like really made them feel comfortable and safe and like, okay, yes, we understand that you're going to be twice as much as some junior developer, but we're willing to do that because we like the way you work. We trust you and we want to get it right the first time, those sorts of things. Well, and the thing that that's hard for people in that scenario is, is the fear factor, because if you're used to getting $50,000 to build something and you get $5,000 to outline it, 
um, it, it's like, well, where am I going to get the other 45,000? Like, where right. is that going to come from? And, you know, and that's why niching, you know, specializing is so important in that scenario. But it's, it's that, I mean, you really, it's two stark choices. Um, it, it, it really is, right? You either yeah. get to that point and you just complain that you can't get paid what you're worth, in quotes, mm-hmm. or you punch through the fear. It's, you'll still feel it, but you punch through it and you say, all right, I'm going to move upstream and I'm not going to build everything myself. And that's going to feel really uncomfortable the yeah. first few times that you do it. But that's, you know, you, you, it's really a very stark choice. And I've met people that are, you know, along the, the road between those two stark choices. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there are some who will choose to just complain about the fees because they want to build. And I just look at this and say, okay, if you want to build, let's make you into a builder and let's specialize you so you can get high end. Mm-hmm. And But there's usually a cap on building is usually a right. cap where there right. isn't on architecting Ar- architecting right. <laughs> yeah and by the way if you say stark one more time i'm going to appear in palm springs it's like a i'm like beetlejuice um so, right so th- there's another thing though to, to point out about that five thousand versus fifty thousand thing like oh but i can't live on on it's basically i'm throwing away forty five thousand dollars by talking them out of the build yeah it's like well the build would have taken you three to six months and the architecture took you a day maybe tops like by a mile tops yeah so you in theory you would have capacity to sell a lot more of the the uh, call it an architecture diagram or or deck you could sell a hundred of them a year or 300 of them a year or whatever mm-hmm. and you and you don't have to cold turkey off the build you could continue to do builds but only for people who first had you architect the system which leads me to another uh, symptom yeah. that the dear listener might experience when they do land a build type of job and you know it's whatever let's say it's software it comes along and they're like okay we've got this plan for SaaS. it's going to be great uh, can you build it yeah i can build it it's like okay here are the details and you the seller the person building it is like this is a this is the wrong way to do it like this there's a better way to do it yeah these are outdated technologies in other words you're going to second guess all the decisions that have already been made because you weren't involved at that stage of the mm-hmm. process. If that's happening to you, like you're you're an order taker and you disagree with the orders, you need to you it's like it's like the world telling you you should move upstream. You should you should be attracting clients earlier in the process and you should be the one at the table, at least have a seat at the table when they are making these decisions because once they're made, once the blueprint is there, nobody wants the general contractor or the carpenters to say, "Oh, this kitchen is too small." It's like, we already made this decision. It's too late. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think the other thing too, going back a little bit, is that when you're in a situation where you're starting to move upstream and you're not a developer, um, one of the things you can think about is some kind of an assessment product or I don't want to say tool because I like the idea that you're doing the assessment, but maybe there's an underlying tool that you use to do that assessment. So that instead of doing a $50,000 project or a $100,000 project, you do a $10,000 assessment or a $25,000 assessment. And maybe in a certain percentage of cases, that leads to you doing some significant strategic style work, but it allows you to kind of shift your revenue in a different way and to productize some of your knowledge into something that's easier to sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and deliver. Yeah, so, yeah. Right. 
Um, and okay, so the the I guess just to kind of wrap up this overall concept, just to make sure that I'm not a tangenting too much. The idea here is like to, okay to package your expertise in different ways. It helps a lot to stop thinking that I have to always do the thing. Mm-hmm. It's I know how to do the thing, and you can and I can sell my know-how instead of selling my do. It doesn't mean you have to stop doing, right? You can still do it. Uh, but selling the know-how is a way for people to benefit somewhat. Maybe maybe it would have been better for the client if you just did the whole thing, you built the whole thing. But it was also 10 or 100, it would also be a 10 or 100 times more expensive for them. So maybe a good enough solution is a good enough solution. So like, um, so basically what I'm what I'm speaking to is a common objection I get, which is like, um, but I actually like doing the stuff. I don't want to just tell mm-hmm. people how to do it. Another objection is uh, they won't do it right. You know, mm-hmm. if I, I'll just tell them and they'll do it wrong yeah. anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other objection is uh, they're, they're um, well, okay. So the solution to that second one, the solution to the second one, oh, they won't do it right is that you could stay engaged uh, in an advisory capacity as like a, a monthly project oversight retainer where you're not doing the build, but you're advising on the build. Maybe you scope it so that there's a couple of really hard things that you do actually build, like maybe the initial project setup, you know, the directory structure, or maybe the, something at the beginning that really, the foundation of the thing where you're going to deal with the foundation. Because if you get that right, everything else will be a lot easier and a junior team can really execute it. Um, so you could have you could have a model where you do this initial upfront thing, and then maybe you build it, or maybe you just do advisory oversight on the people who are building it. Uh, and both of those things are perfectly that might be a good off ramp for somebody who's addicted to the the low profit build dollars and is looking for uh, a sort of a transition path from uh, from that from that like oh man I'm addicted to this this high cash flow you know, this hourly $200 an hour and like the project is six months or a year long. It's like, that's good money. It's like, okay, but what if you could cut your hours in half or, you know, three Mm -hmm. quarters and still be delivering value to the client? Maybe, yes, it would have been better if you did it, but it would have been way more expensive for them. And it's good enough. What the product they're getting is good enough. And you've got 30 hours a week left over to experiment with other things, work on your business instead of being like slammed every week with client well, work. Well, yeah, it's also an opportunity to leverage if you're the kind of person who thinks, hmm, I, I might like to build a firm. Maybe you 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 do the, you know, if we're taking the $50,000 project, $50, project and the 5000 so you charge them 5000 to do the upfront, mm-hmm. and then you offshore this stuff, or you offload it, you outsource it to people that you know who you think can mm-hmm. do good work, and you take a markup. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to, you know, to, to repackage this both from the client perspective and kind of behind the curtain, how mm-hmm. you actually get it done. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, so I guess the, the, the premise here, the premise with everything we've talked about so far with the sort of road mapping stuff is that, is that the example person here has been, has a, a, a reasonably successful business. They've been doing some kind of building, like their expertise is in building stuff and and they're looking to get paid more more in their mind more equitably for their expertise. Like they're feeling underpaid because they're such an expert. So that's so one model is this 
everything we've said so far is basically like, um, it's kind of a baby step from that point. So it's really not that crazy. It's not that difficult to add some kind of upfront design or architecture phase to whatever, whatever your area, whatever the thing is that you normally build. If you are a builder, it's not that hard to come up with some kind of first phase, call it strategy phase or advisory or something like that, that everybody has to do first. If you're going to work with them, they have to do that. And at the end of that, then you can just do what you always do, which is build the thing or one of these other ideas. Um, there's another, there's another, this, and then you just build, build your product ladder down from there. So you, you kind of like you started out with the premium helicopter option. The really expensive option is this building because it's so expensive. And then you work your way down to like maybe your average project project size is a hundred thousand dollars, and then the, the road mapping is ten thousand, and then you've got like you know what could you put underneath that? Some kind of you know unknown unknowns discovery call for a thousand bucks, where somebody can just jump on the phone with you, and they're just like, we don't know what we don't know. We know you're the expert on it. We just needed the you know we just wanted to bounce some ideas off you and, and figure out if we're even pointing in the right direction or where mm -hmm. we could find more resources to educate ourselves. You know it's like trivially easy to add a paid phone call. Like the mechanics of adding a paid phone call to your website are trivial. So uh, and even if you don't put it on your website publicly, do it privately. So when you get one of those, can I pick your brain? You can send them to that URL. <laughs> <laughs> get paid for those sessions. Right. Um, so that's just, you know, another example, another way to package your expertise where, you know, is it the best, you know, is it, is it, could, would it be better for the client if you, you did a, uh, you know, a year long engagement with them and built everything? Yes, of course, but that's not where they're at. Right. So it's like, how do you package up that expertise in, in smaller sizes, right? Like not everybody wants the three liter bottle of Coke. Sometimes you want just like, you know, whatever they are, 20 ounces thing, right? Like the, the size. Oh, I buy, I buy those little tiny eight ounce things. <laughs> they're, they're adorable. Those little cans, it's exactly the right amount of soda if I want a soda. <laughs> nice. Right. So you like, you don't always, you know, and, and those little sodas are expensive, right? They're like from compared to the leader. Yeah. Right. It's, so, yeah. right. It's the same, it's similar concept where you can do something that's, dr I mean, dramatically cheaper for you to deliver, you know, like a 45 to 90 minute phone call versus a, a year long project, 40 hours a week. It's drum. It's not even the same ballpark, mm -hmm. right? Correct. So, but it's still the same thing. You're, you're going to offer your know-how to clients and, and charge them for it. It's just packaged in a different way. So they've all got pros and cons. Like everything has pros and cons. It's not about like there's a right way and a wrong way. Um, but, you well, know, a I, lot of I, folks who who build, they think, oh, well, I didn't do anything. So I'll just do that for free as cost of doing business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's we tend to think whatever we're really good at is not that valuable because it comes so naturally to us. So like who else would value this? But right. where, where I wanted to go with this is I, I think maybe we could think about a sign that you maybe need to think about repackaging. And that I'm just thinking about some conversations I've had over the last week is, you know, I've talked to some people who are basically doing doing all the things, right? They're, they, you know, they have some packages, they have some stuff online, they have an, an engaged audience, they're in, you know, their particular social media channels. But guess what? Their income has been the same from year to year for a while, they've hit this plateau. And mm -hmm. that's usually a sign that there is an opportunity 
to change this, to repackage and bust through that income plateau. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing you could do at that point, given the engaged audience especially, is do something we've talked about in the past, like go on a listening tour and, and find mm-hmm. out, you know, why, why you, maybe you could talk to people who did buy stuff. Why did you buy it? What was the situation? You could talk to people who were considering it, but didn't and start there. Be like, Hey, you know, I noticed that you've been on this web, you know, you, you've clicked through to this web page like 10 times. It seems like you're thinking about buying it. Like what's the, what's got you on the fence and, you know, go on well, a really, yeah, I mean, that would you, be super direct, but you, you could, well, you could do that. I mean, I think if you're trying to figure out if you're trying to solve a very specific puzzle, like why did my program X bomb? I think, yeah. you know, that would be a good thing to do, but I like the listening tours where you're, you're going to people who are your ideal clients and you're asking them about the biggest problems they're trying to solve. Right. And you find out more about that. Like, so, so you get a sense of magnitude. Is this a big problem? Is this a hundred thousand dollar problem, a million dollar problem or a $10 problem? And then you, you really probe to find out where do they get information now? Like what solutions have they tried? What's worked? What hasn't worked? What would they really like? And then if you don't already have an idea, after you do a few of those calls, you can mock up, you know, a straw person design that you can test back with them. And that's where you have to kind of get out of your own way. Um, because I think like if you're always, if you've always done one-to-one, maybe you think it has to be one-to-one. Um, and people actually would like a group option. They'd like to spend less to get more or, or, or it, <laughs> spend less to get more. Yes, we'd love that. Or we'd <laughs> like to spend more to get more, right? So there's, there's some opportunities. And until you ask, you won't really know. And so having it open-ended on the front end, I think, is really helpful because you may well hear things that you didn't know. You just Probably didn't will. know what you didn't know. Yeah. And then you can use that to design something that fits with what they want, how you want to work. And that's the other key is just because they say they want it a certain way doesn't mean you have to twist yourself up like a pretzel in order to deliver it that way. You can adjust it for how you want to work and the way you want to build your business model. But you can also test pricing. I mean, one of the things that's really fun about those conversations is when at the end and you say, so if there were a solution that looked like this and did this and cost this, would you whip out your credit card now (laughs) to pay for it? And people will go, hell yes. Or they'll go, no, no, I really wouldn't. Or they'll kind of go maybe, which is really another way of saying no, they just want to be nice because they feel like they're on the hook with you. Right. Yeah. So yeah. And see the mom test for more on that. (laughs) Um, One. So here's the thing that can happen when you're doing that though, is when you are asking really open-ended, like, just tell me about your problems, not what you think the solution is, but just, you know, what's, what are the biggest problems that you're experiencing, what you're wrestling with, what have you paid to try to solve before, but it didn't work. And you can hear back, if you're not careful, you will not hear really useful stuff because you're already planning on some new idea. Like you've got some new Mm -hmm. way that you want to package something up and you're just not really listening. You're like, you're looking for clues that indicate that in the future they will buy this thing that you're already planning to build. The other, that's dangerous. The other thing that can happen is that you'll be, you won't actually hear the feedback because it's staring you right in the face what their expensive problem is, but you don't perceive that you can help with it. So you just don't even see it. 
you know, yeah. like, like you build yeah. websites, but their hugest expensive problem is like HR or like employee management mm-hmm. or like mindset. And yeah. you can choose to not do that, but don't miss it. Like you want to not miss it and be like, oh, wow, like everybody's problem. Everybody I'm talking to has this like marketing problem. I don't do marketing, but everybody has this problem. And these are the people I want to help. And in fact, if I could fix their marketing problem instead of this farther downstream thing where, you know, I build them a, an app and then they spend a year trying to get product market fit and then kill the thing, like maybe it's time for you to up your game. I mean, it, it happens. Maybe mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh, here are all these people I want to help. They've all got this problem that I don't normally solve. Maybe you figure out how to solve it. Maybe you, maybe it's a pivot point for you, but uh, I guess that's sort of overstepping the bounds of this episode. But the point is like when you're on this listening tour, you can be blind to really good feedback because it doesn't fit what you were expecting to hear for one reason or another. Yeah. It's one of the things that I do whenever I have a call like that is I literally try to clear space in my head and I will, um, you know, old school, I will have a piece of paper. I'll have the questions on the paper with lots of room to take notes and the reason for lots of rooms is, room is that it's on multiple pages. So the pitch, if I have it, is at the very end. It's not even a pitch. It's a test, really. It's like if you you know looked at it this way. And what that means is that your head is completely clear. Like there's no other focus. I am so physically attuned to listening to the other person. And hopefully, because it's usually a Zoom call, I'm watching them looking for, you know, body language cues or, you know, anything, you know, physically, any sign that they give me. And so you just want to be, you know, kind of like that, like bat ears, right? Do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah, like you hear yeah. and you feel and it flows through you. And just I, if you do it that way, you will hear things. And it's okay if you don't ask all your questions and you go in a different direction because they're telling you what matters to them. If nothing else, let's say it is a problem you, you just you, you either can't solve, you don't know how to solve, you don't want to solve, you're still increasing your re- improving your relationship with this person who's potentially an ideal client for you. I mean, right. you think they are when you have that conversation. So right. it's not wasted. You walk away feeling like you have nothing, it's still not wasted. You've just, you know, inched or or yarded your way into a deeper relationship. Yeah, and in general, totally agree. And in general, you're also increasing your empathy with the type that type of person. Mm-hmm. So even if even if you aren't going to let's say solve their marketing problem because you build SaaS products, understanding that they have that marketing problem will inform how you write about and talk about the services that you do decide to offer, and can exactly. you can help connect the dots between the things that you're you know may, maybe your differentiation is that uh, it's like hey entrepreneurial business owner or like wannabe. SaaS, uh, like empire. It's like, we understand that you've had, you've launched to crickets before, or you have this like marketing issues and they're like, they're like, Oh, cool. Well, how does that relate to what you do? And then you can connect the dots, even mm-hmm. if you don't go upstream and like pivot into some, some higher order, uh, skill set or, or, I mean, you know, we've talked, we had, uh, yes. David Fields on and he told a story about, uh, he had two clients who went, basically went on a listening tour and uncovered a really expensive problem that was completely outside of their normal skill set. And they just they just said, you know what, we're going to go get those skills. And they did. And then they just like totally hit home total home runs. 
I mean, most people aren't going to do that. Most people are going to feel the sunk yeah. cost of like, oh, I've been a software developer yeah, or marketer for 10 years. That's, that's the the outlier situation. Yeah. Because I think that, I mean, if you if it's easier looking back in our careers than it is looking forward. Because if you look back, you'll see, even if it didn't feel like it in the moment, times when you said, you know what, I want to learn more about this. I want to double down onto this aspect of whatever it is. And it might be deeper or it might be upstream, right? But it's easier to see when you're looking back. And so clients, not just clients, ideal people in your ideal client profile will tell you what they want. And the key is to match it with what you want to do and working in your genius zone. And I'm thinking of an, a conversation I had not too long ago with someone who had done a listening tour and they came back with amazing insight into what they they were going to create. The only problem was what the people wanted was not the way this consultant wanted to work. And so they're like, well, what do I do now? I like, I guess I just have to do that. I'm like, you don't. Let's see. Let's look at, let's dive into it. Let's look at what they were actually asking for. And so they were, in theory, they were asking for sort of a membership style ongoing program. But when we looked a little deeper, that wasn't the most important thing. So what we did instead is we designed a two-week kind of like a workshop, but over the course of two weeks with a cohort. And it exactly worked to the way this person wanted to work. And what was fabulous was that when they sent out uh, to their mailing list, okay, this is what I'm working on. This is what it's going to look like. Uh, it's going to be next year. If you're interested, you can sign up here. And they had, and they were thinking, well, you know, I, I want to get maybe 10 people in this. And they got 20 on the interest list with nothing more than just that. So, mm. you know, it hit a nerve. And that's what, that's what we have to do. Just because we're listening to people doesn't mean we have to do exactly what they say. We can evaluate yeah. it and decide how to meet that need that's being expressed in a way that not only works for us, but that provides value for that, that target audience. Right. Yeah, that's, that's super important. Um, I, it's a little bit of a balancing act because here, the thing is, yeah. like, I like to ask in situations like this, I ask historical questions, like, so that they're questions that they can answer, like, this is what I did. Not like, you know, if you could have in a perfect world, like, what would, what would this solution to this problem look like before you even know what the problem is? But first, I, I like, I like to ask historically, like, how have you tried to solve this in the past? How much yep. money or sleep have you lost because of this problem? Things like that, because they can answer that. Mm -hmm. Like they, they, they are yep. the expert on those questions. They're not. You're not asking them to predict something. Like, would you buy something that looked like this? So, once you have that, though, I, I will sometimes bounce ideas off them. Like, what if it was like this, or what if there was a body system, or what if it was a group, or a big group, or a small group, or what yeah. if it was, you know, do you work better one on one? Do you prefer to read? lessons or watch lessons you know do you do you retain information better reading watching or listening stuff like that uh, and to your point some of the when they get prescriptive about what they think the solution is uh, sometimes I sometimes I'll be like oh that's a good idea and I would like I, I think that would work and that's something maybe I wouldn't have thought of and and it's the way I want to work anyway right so it aligns like all the stars align with a suggestion that they made and it's still up in the air whether or not it will actually work, but I do like the idea. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, so I will take 
input like that, but anything that I'm like, eh, I don't think that'll work. Uh, the solution, I mean, I'd be like, eh, I've tried something like that before and it didn't work for these reasons. This person has no experience with that, so they wouldn't know. So, so I'll reject a lot of stuff out of hand in terms of, in terms of them predicting the future. But sometimes you get some gems in there like, ooh, that might be a good thing to experiment with. Oh, I've gotten great feedback when I've done these for myself, Uh, you know, and it's I I did another round uh, this fall. And because I I wanted to uh, meet with people who were whose revenue was under 100,000. And that had not been my target. I was curious, like what Mm -hmm. they wanted. And I, I, I was pretty sure in my head that they must want a membership program they must want like a place to be with other people like themselves and mm. and so i stopped the calls after like 5 or 6 um because no they did not want no we do not want a membership the reason they talked to me is they wanted a mastermind and mm. i'm like okay but a mastermind is harder for people that are just starting their business right? But it's not impossible. But I listened to people. And it was just so funny, because for a year and a half, I've been thinking, they want a membership. People want a membership. <laughs> not for me, they don't. <laughs> I'm sure that some people want them, but it's not what they look to me for. And so I very much pay attention to that input, because part of it is, is if you've um, been public enough, and by public, I mean, you know, you've been publishing, or you've had a podcast, or, you know, you've got an email list, is they, they have an opinion about what they want from you. And it's related to your brand, it's related to your promise, but it's really their experience from you. And so they might, like you and I could be like we could have a beauty contest, right? You and I are up there and they say, well, from Jonathan, you know, these are the things that are beautiful about Jonathan. And these are the things that are beautiful about Rochelle. And they're, they're, they're different. And so, so somehow, instead of just looking to what other people are doing, we have to really understand what our audience wants from us. And if your audience is still small, right? Then you really zero in on the people who you think are ideal. And then you, uh, what do I want to say? You um, mix it up, I guess, with your brand, the things that you want to do, the people you want to focus on, the issues you care about, the revolution you want to lead. Yeah. So let's, so I feel like, I feel like I'm pulling things into a little airy fairy (laughs) kind of of space. (laughs) So I, I always like to get a little bit tactical uh, to kind of for the antidote to that. Um, what have we talked about so far in terms of concrete, well, air quotes, concrete, metaphorically, packages for your expertise other than building? So so pr- road mapping engagements, whatever that looks like for your space um, that potentially would lead into project oversight kinds of things. We talked about having some kind of a paid strategy call, just a short, short um it's probably Zoom call to get somebody on the right track. They're like, like they don't even know what track to get on. You're like, you probably want to get on that track. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can do the other other obvious thing. I guess is kind of obvious, but we should mention it's just like putting together a course, writing a book, having yeah. a putting together a workshop, maybe an in person workshop. You know, all none in none of these cases would you be doing the building. You're you're packaging your know how as a book or a course or a workshop or a strategy engagement or yada, yada, yada. And uh, you, and what that allows you to do is offer it to your ideal buyers at radically different price points to maybe wake up that, you know, if you've got that engaged thousand person mailing list and they're just not buying your, you know, your high ticket program, your helicopter option, whatever it is, 
then, you know, bring new things to them. Say, hey, I made this for you. It's not as good as the $50,000 thing, but it's only 5000 or it's only 500 or it's only five, you know, depending on your market. Yeah, yeah. I, that's why I love having my book now, because I can say to somebody who asked me, like, how can I, you know, interact from you and get the value I want? I said, well, you know, you can spend under 20 bucks. <laughs> you can have a book that shows you how to do it. Um, you can join a mastermind with other people and go through that process. Or you can hire me as a one-to-one coach. And, you know, each one of those costs demonstrably more. And But it's to be able to have those options when you're not sure where somebody is in the process is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here, that, that just reminded me of another exercise that I'll do with people. Um if you currently take take whatever an average current price is for you, so like let's say your average price is I don't know, let's just say fifty thousand, some kind of it doesn't matter what it is, coaching program, marketing started, whatever it is, and take a zero off and add it. So take a zero off so it's five thousand and add a zero so it's what five hundred thousand. What could you do at those two price points that would justify the the purchase price to the buyer? but also be scoped such that you would happily do it for that amount of money. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, and you can do it, you know, depending on where, this is weird because I don't, you know, listener, I don't know exactly where you're starting, but just taking whatever, I don't know, the last project that you did, the last thing you did, just chop a zero off it. What now you've got that budget, so to speak, what scope could you fit in there happily? You'd just be fist pumpingly happy to do, whatever the promise is for that amount of money uh at, at in, but but what but what would you do to move the needle that you normally move so what's another way to did, I, I hopefully that made sense right no, I, no I, I like that actually because it's um it's a way of looking at the at, at the ends right so what's yeah. the cheapest well maybe not the cheapest but certainly a low end of what you can do and what's an amazingly high end because adding a zero is a pretty scary thing for people the first time they think about it. And, but that's, what's exciting about it. It's like, so what could I do? And if the kind of work you're doing is producing an incredibly valuable result, I mean, don't undersell yourself. There may well be a $500,000 project or a $250,000 project that you could identify that would really move the needle for your clients. And they would love to pay you that much money because they're getting so much more in outcomes. Yeah, let's drill into this. We'll we'll drill into this a little bit more because it's the one that like people can usually understand how to downsize from what they currently do into a smaller, you know, a a tenth of the price, but upsizing by 10, 10x. So the, usually the way, the quickest way to figure this one out is like, I call it the space station approach where it's like, all right, let's say you do, you write software because that's obviously my, my favorite example. Um, <laughs> you write software and you're currently getting $50,000 per project for it. All right. Now your software needs to be installed on the International Space Station. You can easily charge 10 times that for the software because it has to be more bulletproof it has to be more specific. It has to be whatever. It's going to be different in very important ways because the urgency and the quality control and all of those things are way more high stakes, right? So if if you if you don't know how to tack a zero onto your price, one answer or one exercise is like, well, find somebody who's got a much more expensive problem and a huge budget 
And then obviously that raises the question, well, like how do I get NASA as a client? But that's a solvable problem. It's not like, it's not like a mystery how to 10X your prices. You just go to people who need you 10 times more, right? And then, and boom, you're done. If you're not talking by the hour, you know. Yeah. And maybe a way to, another way to think about that too, is like a confidence factor. Like the example you gave, they don't want it to break down in space. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about what the mission would cost if it had to be scrubbed because Mm -hmm. of your software. So it's what you're doing is you're giving your client confidence that what you're doing is going to work. And so looking for people for whom you can guarantee them or, um, it doesn't have to be a guarantee, I guess, but they have to feel, there has to be this feeling on the part of your client that you are the one that can make this work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need to have a, make a credible claim that they find convincing yeah. and right. So that that's all, yeah. that's pure positioning, you know, marketing is like, uh, testimonials proof of, you know, I've done it before. There's reason to believe you can do it again. Right. So because uh, Normally, when I would say to someone, oh, well, you know, like, how would you 10x your prices? If it's, they'll say like, oh, that's impossible. It's like, no one would pay that. Like, I would just get undercut left and right. And it's like, well, would you if you changed who you served, you know, or you went to not necessarily change who you, maybe you've been doing aerospace all along, but now you, you know, software for aerospace, but uh, you just start going to bigger companies and like, mm-hmm. maybe you want to do that. Maybe you don't want to do that. But the idea of the exercise is to give you a, at least shine a light on a path that would get you there. And then you can decide, well, do I want to do that or not do that? You know, maybe you just want to work with mom and pops. Okay, great. So they've got a completely different category of buying power. So you're going to have, you're just, you know, their business is only worth a million dollars or $5 million. So you're not going to charge them 500 grand. You you probably, they're not going to have the budget for that. So you got to find a way that you can set a price that is attractive to them and you, by cutting the scope down to something that maybe doesn't move the needle as much as you could if you were all in, but they couldn't afford you if you were all in. So they're going to have to buy sort of, you know, whatever MVP or, or advisory or something where you're not working 40 hours a week on their project because you, you're like, it's just a choice. I want to work with mom and pops. All right. Your price mm-hmm. points are going to max out. So you need to collapse your scope somehow, sell your know-how to them in a way that moves the needle, but doesn't doesn't take you 40 hours a week to deliver. Yeah. And and I think the other thing too is to keep in mind that your packaging will change throughout the course of your business. You know, whether it's because uh, your clients need your client needs change or your needs change, right? Cuz you get to the point where you go, oh, I don't want to keep building this stuff. I don't want to keep executing. I want to be a strategist." And so you start, you know, maybe a slow pivot, maybe a fast pivot. To, to doing that. And then at some point you might go, you know what, I just need to, I need to cut back a little bit. I need to do some things a little bit differently. And you repackage again, or you've attracted, because of your message, you've attracted a sub audience that really intrigues you. And so you niche down into their specific problems and you repackage for right. that specific audience. It's, it's, it's not etched, uh, you know, it's not etched in, in cement. You get to change on a regu- pretty regular basis. Yeah, I, I think you should be experimenting. Like to me, everything's an experiment. It, you mentioned self-confidence before. I just heard something really interesting about about that, uh, which did ring true with me because I I am often people I often hear someone saying like, "Oh, I wish I had your confidence." I'm like, I don't 
I don't, to me, confidence is like an assuredness that something's going to work. I never feel like that. Like, I, I really don't feel like that ever. I just don't care if I fail. Like that, to me, that's the difference. It's like, mm. it's like, well, it, to me, everything's an experiment. Like it's all practice for the next time. So I'm not really worried about failing. Like failing means I learned something. And as long as the failures aren't so big that I can't continue to play the game, like I can't come back tomorrow and play the game again because the failure was too enormous. Just make, I just do small experiments all the time. And, and, uh, you know, as long as the, as long as the stakes aren't too high, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's really fun. Like that's the fun part of being able to of running your own business is that you can do stuff like that. It's not, it's not really a question yeah. just like, Oh, it, in the past, whenever I've sort of set it and forget it, like, Oh, it, it gets boring. It diminishing returns over time. Uh, it's just not, I don't know. It just feels really static. Like going to a store that just every time you go, it's got the same inventory. And you're like, Ugh, so <laughs> boring. It's like, yeah, I needed band-aids or whatever. So I came in, but it would be nice if there was like something seasonal or, you know, these are the, these are the decorative pillows from last year. <laughs> it's like, you you want to switch things up. Like the easiest, the easiest in the, in the matrix of like old stuff, new stuff, old clients, new clients, like selling new stuff to old clients is like the easiest sale. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. That's, that's the quadrant. Always. Right. So, but it, it's like, you get lazy and you're just like, eh, I, it's, I don't know. It's not lazy. It's like, somehow it feels like, um, uh, I know a lot of people who, or even work with a lot of people who sell this thing. Like they have this thing that they sell and they're like, well, everybody on my list already knows about this thing and whoever bought it, bought it and whoever didn't, didn't. So now I need to go get more people on my list to sell this old thing to new people. And that's like the hardest yeah, I suppose new thing to new people is equally hard, but I guess it's a little harder because you're going to make the new thing. But but selling new stuff to people who already get you and understand your worldview and uh, your point of view and your positioning and all of that stuff. And you have this new thing. This What made me think of this was your subgroup comment where it's like, oh, I've got an increasing number of lawyers on my list. Huh. That's interesting. What could I do specifically? What product could I create specific to that group that might be just what they need, you know, like yeah. all of a sudden connect the dots for them and say like, oh, that's cool. That's yeah. helpful for everyone. Yeah. It's innovation, right? Like the two main functions of a business, the two, the only two value creation portions of a business, according to Drucker, are innovation and marketing. So if you're not innovating, you're leaving out a major portion of your business and you're ignoring a major function of your business. And this is innovating like this, like what we're talking about, packaging your expertise, packaging your know-how in different ways is innovation like that's what you it's product innovation or service innovation well that's why you have an ideal audience because then you're and and they're people you care about so you're listening and they're telling you what's happening and that gives you the opportunity to innovate they're telling you what they want or they're telling you what their problems are and you're coming up with solutions but they are telling you and you're listening because you care about them it's natural yeah yeah and if right and the I've I've had a, a couple of students who are just like I don't really care about my clients. It's a transaction. They need what I do, and here's you know that's that's here you know here's the money. Oh okay, boy, I, I want to hire them. Yeah, well, when you're in demand, or like a really in demand skill, you can kind of get away with that horizontal positioning. Like like hey, if you want the best, I'm the best. If you don't, don't talk to me. And you know it's not that it doesn't work, but um, it's just not. I don't know how to work with someone like that. <laughs> like when it stops working, there's nowhere to go. Like yeah, when you start no to connective get, tissue. 
Yeah, exactly. It's it's brittle because either the the horizontal skill falls out of fashion or the market catches up and a whole bunch of fast followers appear and undercut you. And it's like you got nowhere to go. There's no connection with the with an audience. So it's it's to me it's like that's a high risk of commoditization, but maybe it's just me. Well, I mean, we talked about this a few episodes ago. It's I just it's not that you you have to lead a revolution, but it does make it easier because people can tell whether they want to be with you or not. And it's a mm. great flashpoint to say yes or hell no. <laughs> and when they say yes, that's the connective tissue. That's when you start to, you know, create these relationships, even if they're they're all digital. Like you're not yeah. spending one-to-one time with them, but they feel like they have a relationship with you. They feel like they know you, or they might say, oh, well, you know, Jonathan would say this, Rochelle would say that. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, th- you're building relationships. So, right. and, th- and the more you're focused on something that's bigger than yourself, the easier it is to pull people in. Agre- yeah, totally. Yeah, revolution. <laughs> Okay, so as we wrap up here, I think the main themes are, you know, if you're going to try and package your expertise differently, pack, realizing that your know-how has value and that it's, it's you know, what I always say, sell your brains, not your hands. You know, that's that's a path. That's the, the, the doorway. You walk through that doorway and there are a bunch of ways to do that that, that are bog standard, obvious, like for, for expertise-based business models, road mapping oversight, strategy calls, courses, books, workshops, all of these things. They've got pros and cons. Some are really expensive to create. Some are really easy to create. Some have higher profit margins. Others have lower profit margins. They all have different revenue, you know, revenue ranges, but goof around with it, like experiment, innovate, see what sticks, Uh, give give some of it a try. Um, Do the exercise where you're like, well, if this was going to be on the space station, how much would they charge? How could you add a zero or remove a zero or remove two zeros from your mm-hmm. normal prices and just play around with it and see if you can, you know, see if you can come up with, you know, adding how often, how often would I, how often would you, should you do? I mean, I do it constantly cause I think it's fun. Um, but I'd how say often at least, would you at least add? once a year, I oh, would look, least. I would, I would look at, I would look at it. Well, it depends because if you've got a, a business model that's humming along nicely and you're happy and you you see the future and it looks bright based on what <laughs> you're doing, everybody's happy, I'd say sure. look at it once a year. Sure. Um, if you're in the major tinkering phase, I'd say at least once a quarter. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you have to make the change, but you have to look at it. And well, you don't have to, but I would, I'd look at it and say, how is this thing going? How is that thing going? I wonder if I just did this. I wonder if I tied it to this other thing. I wonder if I changed the email sequence that goes with this, if that would sell differently. I wonder if I played with the target of this market a little bit. I wonder if I made this one-to-one program, a group program. I wonder if I, if I increased the price, but made it more available. I wonder if I made the program more robust. Shall I stop now? (laughs) (laughs) right yeah and here's another thing that just occurred to me while you're saying that is that once once people start to once they they recognize that you innovate you bring out new things on some sort of regular schedule they start to ask for stuff like it becomes obvious that that oh you make new like for me it's workshops so like people that sort of five-day challenge format people love it 
and or my kind my kind of people love it and mm-hmm. it's just like straight to the point you know 80 20 rule no fluff we're just not going to do any of the stuff that you don't need to launch like podcast artwork stuff like that it's like you don't need it mp the id3 tags don't need them just like keep it simple get the thing launched and then you know make it better what once you're in flight so yeah totally I, consistent with your brand yeah exactly and then and then that's that's the me part that's like here's how i want to work i don't want to mm-hmm. do these like you know like every every little last detail about a podcast like ugh, gag me um <laughs> but one the last time i launched a new you know automatic proposals it's another one of these five-day workshops people were like oh when are you going to do one on positioning when are you going to do one on daily emails when are you going to do one on and you know like if 150 people are like I would love it if you did this on daily emails. Like, well, guess what I'm working on? (laughs) Daily emails. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so that was maybe a a final point. Like once once people start to recognize that you do make new stuff for them, they start to have a wish list. Like it starts to become like dead simple. Uh, I'm not saying it's, you know, it's definitely going to work or it's going to be a huge success. But man, the signal is is pretty yeah, strong. The, yeah, is a reasonable confidence that this will work in some way, and if it doesn't, it's not a big deal. Right. Yeah. Actually, if, taking... if it doesn't, it's you've got the ability to tweak. Because if you have 150 people who said they wanted it, and let's say you had five people sign up for it, then you ask the other ones. So okay, so what happened? Well, mm-hmm. the price is a little bit not this, or time. yeah, Mercury's in retrograde. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the response. Yeah, right. But it's whatever. It's like, it's an experiment. It's practice for the next one. Maybe the next one will be positioning. I don't know, but it, it's like, uh, it's it's worth, like the juice is worth the squeeze. Like I might as well try. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because then it's like, as long as you're, you know, you can't steer a parked car, it's like, you might as well just be moving and then you can adjust along the way. But yeah. yeah. And it's, and, and last point, I guess, is just tie it back to know-how, right? Like if you know, could I charge, like, let's say I was a copywriter. Well, I could just hire myself out for $10,000 a month to do your daily list for you. Just to, like write it, mm-hmm. like ghost write it or whatever Ugh. I would charge for that. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't think that would actually work for anyone, but it, but I'm sure big brands do that sort of thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, That's why we have content marketers and content writers. Yeah. So, so I, I could do that in theory but I don't want to work like that. That's not the direction I'm going. So I'm just going to sell the know-how. Here's the DIY. Here's how you can get started in five days. You'll have on, you start on Monday, on Friday, you'll have subscribers, mm-hmm. right? Like yep. boom, but I'm not going to do it for you, even though that would maybe be, maybe be better for you or better fit for you or whatever, but it would be incredibly costly to me to do it. So the price would have to be astronomical. And you would hate it. You you wouldn't want to do that. Work. Even if I loved it, right? You're right. But even if I loved it, the point is, I'm selling my know-how. I'm not doing it for you. I'm not building right. it for you. You're building it yourself, and therefore I can price it really low. You know, but you still have to show up and do the work. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Have we beaten the horse? I think so. I mean, my dog shook his collar enough during this episode that yeah, I think we did. We started a little late. Jackson's ready. <laughs> All right, folks. So that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.